Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I have had so many more suicides of teenagers as a result of learning how to do it online, somebody breaking up with them through Facebook or Instagram or any of these social media sites, and they can't handle it. Welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up, a podcast dedicated to spreading awareness about issues that usually get swept under the rug. Brought to you by Stand Up, Speak Up Fashion, where a portion of every sale supports 3,000 acts of kindness. Visit StandUpSpeakUpFashion.com. Today, we feature part two of Carla's chat with Christian Cadieux of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. In part one, a special Halloween edition, we focused on the paranormal. Today, we get into some raw, true crime discussion and also hear a perspective from somebody who sees firsthand the types of deaths occurring in Canada, shining a light on drug abuse, teen suicide, and more. We present this interview in a complete, uncensored manner. Some content may be graphic and disturbing. Discretion is advised. For most of us, seeing a crime scene would be traumatic. For Christian Cadieux, it's just another day at work. His business, Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, doesn't only focus on crime scenes. Under the umbrella of this industry falls disinfection, sterilization, infectious disease outbreak, and even drug lab cleanup. Christian speaks to us from a crime scene and describes the situation. This was uh, a natural circumstance, uh, an unattended death where somebody uh, was decomposing for a prolonged period of time. And the contamination, we'll call it, whether it's blood, whether it's urine, feces, or just uh, some of those biohazardous infectious materials, or I refer to it to make it easier as contamination. So the contamination migrates through the physical structure. It contaminates everything. During the decomposition stage, there's several factors. There's usually four stages during the decomposition and process of any, whether it's a human body, whether it's a pet, whether it's garbage, uh, decaying garbage in uh, hoarding or squalid environments. But for this particular situation, or for most human decompositions, we're called in during the purge stage. And in the purge stage, there's something which is referred to as putrefaction. And the putrefaction refers to as when the body has been unattended and it will bloat and it will expand in discolor. It'll change from a pale white uh, it'll change from uh, a pale color and then it'll become greenish and uh, blue and then it'll expand while it's expanding it will uh, release certain contamination or bodily fluids from different mucous membranes such as the eyes, the ears the nose, the mouth the genitalia area, the rectum and then the body will come back slowly to its original physical uh, position or state. So it will not be as bloated. Now, during this putrefaction stage, that's a lot of the time when people pick up on the odor because 
decomposition odor is actually it's 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 somewhat dangerous to breathe in because it consists of three primary gases. Those gases include hydrogen sulfide, sulfur dioxide, and ammonia. And those three gases mixed together become airborne and permeate everything within the internal structure. So clothing, television sets, believe it or not, electronics, the gas will go in through the speakers into a television. And every time you turn on that TV, the heating element or the electrical componentry within the electronic device, whether it's a television or a computer, will then reactivate the odor to come back out. Would you have to get rid of everything? The odor can be treated. Contents can be treated. It's, but it's not just a magic one, two, three. Every situation is unique entirely unto itself. And what I mean by that is if we're dealing with electronics, electronics has to be treated separately. Clothing has to be treated separately. Uh, the physical structure separately, jewelry, whatever the case may be, because the gas a decomposition odor, it's kind of like an invisible molecular sticky substance. It's a residue and it's, it's everywhere in that environment. And if you also factor in infestation, for example, during the putrefaction stage, you could have the most pristine, and I mean the most pristine hygienic environment uh, that you could possibly think of, something completely fit for a surgical room in the hospital. Magically, I don't know how this happens. A fly will appear. I'm telling you, a fly will appear out of nowhere. It's like it comes through. It's interdimensional. And this fly will appear and it will land on the decomposing body. It will lay its eggs, larva, and then maggots are formed. And then the maggots accelerate the decomposition process, releasing more flies. The flies grow and they become bloat flies at their max. Now, these flies have also been in contact with the contamination, for example, blood. And they will fly throughout the home and they'll land on the windows. They'll land on the window sills, the window ledges. They'll land on the wall. So when we go into a decomposition, we're going to see what I refer to as fly wing spatter. These little red dots throughout the physical structure throughout the windowsills in the window. And this is an overlooked issue. And another overlooked issue is pets. Cats will always go and lick the body or the contamination or step on it. So a lot of the times we see these little paw prints on carpeting or on hardwood flooring or on bedding or sheeting. Uh, and because, the, I mean, pets don't know better. They're going to uh, someone that they a family member or an owner, and uh, they'll uh, gravitate to that person who's dead and has been decomposing, and they'll come in contact with the contamination, and they spread the contamination further, which is a huge overlooked issue. So that's what we're kind of doing right now. When you go into a crime scene, how do you assess the cost of that cleanup? Cost is determined by sometimes time and materials. Cost is sometimes determined by a flat rate. Uh, the only thing I can tell you is that the insurance companies have actually asked, um, it's, it's kind of funny, our company to, uh, for, as counsel and to advise them on what type of rates to set as an industry standard. So if we're billing something that's being billed to an insurance company, then the insurance company rates is what we have to follow. 
So a lot of the time, as a result, and this is very recent because insurance companies did not have a set regulated rate. A lot of times insurance companies, they would honor the claim, but some of these claims from other people or other companies would be just so grossly uh, exaggerated and and uh, through the roof and into the stratosphere as far as pricing is concerned, that they had to sit down and come to what they felt was a fair and amicable rate for biohazardous decontamination or biohazardous remediation, which uh, ever wording you like to use. What would an hourly rate be on average to clean a crime scene? If it was an hourly rate, it would be between 100 to $150 per person. So if I have four people there, we'd be looking at approximately $600 an hour, plus materials, plus disposal, plus environmental surcharge, plus hazardous liability, and these rates have been established by the insurance companies. Take me through the worst crime scene you've ever seen. And what was that? And then how did you deal with the whole cleanup? I mean, how did you get over the emotional side to it or the actually the, the smell or, or all your senses that you would have when you come into a horrific crime scene? It's a fair question, but it's a hard one. It, it's a hard question to answer because... If you're talking about visually graphic, that's one aspect. Emotional, unfortunately, as morbid or cryptic as this sounds, the only way you will ever survive in my line of work is by compartmentalizing and allowing yourself to become desensitized. And I know that is probably a psychiatrist's dream come true, someone to say that because that's, uh, I mean, they love dealing with people like that. And it's a terrible thing to say, actually compartmentalize. But the only way you're really going to survive is by leaving work at work. If you bring work at home, it's going to mess with things upstairs. Let's go through the senses. Okay, so what was the most visually disturbing crime scene? Visually would be an individual who decapitated his wife for uh, suspecting her of uh, cheating. And he put her head over a fireplace and used it as a mantelpiece. Perhaps somebody chopping up a human body. And I mean, there was an incident that we did a high profile. I have to be careful what I say here. So a high profile attorney that was flying country to country and killing prostitutes and escorts. And he was cutting them up. And uh, that's a true story. And uh, unfortunately, that was uh, a very, uh, of course, graphic uh, and and, um, visually disturbing situation. But the worst of the worst is when children are involved. That's a tough one. Do you find because you work in this industry that you're fascinated by the psychology of evil acts? Whenever you get the chance, do you enjoy talking to the detectives or psychologists that work on this? I mean, does that whole area fascinate you beyond the act of what they did, but why they did it? Do you ever get a backstory? I am limited to the information that I have, and I try not to because I don't want it uh, affecting something or the way I think uh, when I'm doing my job. But uh, actually, it's, it's the neighbor's who are worse than, sorry, not worse, but you'll get more information from neighbors, nosy neighbors, the nosy parkers that want to come and see what you're doing. And, oh, did you know that this person 
was this, this, that, that. Did you know that they robbed a bank? Or did you know that, uh, oh, this person was so promiscuous and, oh, she was such a slut and blah, 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 and, or she did drugs or blah. people were coming in and out uh, throughout the night or throughout the day. I mean, the, the, you know, neighbors, well, you'll get more information from neighbors than, uh, than you will the police. But, uh, you know, do I sit down and pick a, a, a police officer's brain? No, not not really, but I am fascinated by it. I, I am interested up to a certain point. And um and, and then I just uh I, I leave it at uh, I leave it at that. There's only so much I wanna know. There's only so much I, I'm interested in knowing because I I don't get the shock value anymore than I used to. It's it, it, it doesn't happen. Um just because uh just because uh, of the, the you know, that's how desensitized I've, uh, I, I've become to it. And again, it goes back to, uh, through my trials and tribulations and experiences in life. Uh, it, um, it has made me, uh, you know, to become and I, fearless on so many levels and, and not, and not be afraid of essentially anything. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, um, I am fascinated, sure, and I am interested to speak with, uh, whether it's a, a profiler, like in the television show Criminal Minds, uh, whether it's a psychiatrist or psychologist, because they're very interesting. But I can also tell you that uh, I'm quite uh, quite the highlight of almost every uh, dinner party <laughs> um, when uh, people find out what I do. So it's, uh, yeah, and that yeah. is that's such a that's such a a sick. I mean, I agree. You would be the highlight of any dinner party, and it's it's like this. Is it like a sick fetish everybody has with death and wanting to know how far people will go, you know, to hurt other people? I, I don't, I don't like it because how many times do you have people asking you stories about the ODs? You know, because you probably majority of your work would be ODs, right? But that's not a very sexy topic for people to hear about. It's not the same as like a guy that chopped off his wife's head and left it on the mantle. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's not a, uh, it, it's certainly not, not a sexy thing to talk about. However, when you've got a crisis like fentanyl, which is, uh, and I mean crisis, it's affecting, and it's, you, you know that some teenager kids within the next, I don't know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a psychic or a prophet in any way, shape, or form, but I feel that in the next very short period of time, some teenager kids, some young kids are going to be exposed to fentanyl because right now they're spraying it on marijuana. They're lacing it uh, with marijuana or, or different narcotics. And some kid is going to smoke their first joint and just going to be laced with fentanyl and they're going to overdose. I mean, this, this is a scary thing because it's affecting everybody. This is a terrible, terrible epidemic and crisis. And it is, I mean, if that stuff, if that powder, liquid form, powder form, I mean, if it comes in contact with your skin. It's over. Unless you have a naloxone pen to inject to in order to uh, completely drain your body of uh, any opiate substances. And that's the only saving grace you have. Just like an EpiPen, there's something out there called naloxone, which comes in a pen. A needle. Sorry, a needle. And it's a kit you can pick up from the drugstore uh, and you inject yourself with that. And that will drain immediately all opiate substances in your body if you come in contact or touch uh, fentanyl. I mean, the RCMP, perfect example, dogs, inspection dogs are overdosing. Inspection dogs whose job are to smell for narcotics are ODing from, by smelling fentanyl. So 
so the RCMP has developed a system, and now every uh, whether it's uh, customs or cross border agency or drug inspection agency in the world are sending their dog handlers to be trained by the RCMP. The RCMP have come up with a system on how not to allow their dogs to overdose by smelling fentanyl. And this fentanyl is going to become a huge epidemic. And it's uh, sad, it's unfortunate, but it's going to affect our children. And, uh, you know, narcotics is a big business. And, uh, you know, the cartel is making fentanyl left, right, and center. And, I mean, last week, the largest seat, the largest bust in New York, happened in New York, what was it? I think it was... um, $52 $52 million street value of fentanyl that was brought in, that was uh, coming in from the cartel uh, and had the ability to kill 58 million people or 38 million people. 30, anyways, it, it was a disgusting number of the amount, the dollar value, and how many people could die from it. So this is uh, this is a big problem, but sure, it, it doesn't have the same shock value gore effect of uh somebody being dismembered. People think, well, it's just a drug addict or it's just a prostitute, which is so, so sad. Coming up, Christian gives us an idea from his experience of the breakdown of deaths in Canada. Natural causes make up a large part, but suicide unfortunately takes a large number of lives and those numbers are rising. We all can make a positive difference in the world. At Stand Up Speak Up, we aim to raise awareness around bigger problems that require many minds and hearts working together to solve. However, small acts of kindness and love are something we can each commit to doing to make this world a happier and safer place to live. That's why Stand Up Speak Up Fashion has committed to accomplishing 3,000 acts of kindness by the year 2020. The Stand Up Speak Up podcast is just one of the ways we're doing that. Stand Up Speak Up Fashion, along with its members, have already completed over 2,000 acts of kindness, such as donating gift cards and clothing to street youth in the Toronto, London, Oakville, and Hamilton areas, volunteering at St. John Ambulance, providing donations to various fundraisers, including the Lake of the Woods District Hospital Foundation Gala, and giving books to the kids at the Ontario Youth Detention Centre. Your continued support makes all of this possible. Visit StandUpSpeakUpFashion.com, check out our store, and help us reach 3,000 acts of kindness by 2020. Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes organizations and groups that we're passionate about and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. 
We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. If we look at all your business, what percentage of your cleanup is um, natural causes, crime scene, drug overdose, suicides? Natural causes is definitely going to be 50%. 50%. The remaining 50% will be self-infliction, will be overdose. So suicide, self-infliction. Uh, overdose can also be suicide. But uh, overdose, suicide, homicide would be in that other 50%. To break it down for you, 10% here, 8%, that would be a little challenging for me. I would need some time to uh, to figure out that ratio. I could get you one, absolutely. And I mean, just even at the top of your head, it would just tell us what's the biggest epidemic right now. I mean, if you put traditional suicide, not include OD, are we looking at 15% suicide or 5%? Okay, so in the last year, in the last two years for that matter, Suicide, and this is a statistical fact, and feel free to reference Toronto Police Services or anywhere in Ontario or Canada for that matter. Suicide in Canada is through the roof, through the roof. So I'm going to say that uh, there's a huge, it has increased children, teenagers, people of all ages are being encouraged or perhaps are being introduced online through social media on how to commit suicide. Without going into too much detail in order to protect the identity, I have done in the last 18 months, last 18 months, year 18 months, I have had so many more suicides of teenagers who have died as a result of learning how to do it online, of somebody breaking up with them through Facebook or Instagram or any of these social media sites and they can't handle it. Um, so suicide with the young generation is getting very, very bad. These numbers are rising. They are on a rise. How many teen suicides do you think you've had to clean up? Like, I don't know. Is it like one? Is it none? In the last three months, last quarter, maybe five. And, and how do they do it? Sometimes they hang themselves, uh, OD, uh, they will uh, take uh, one of their parents' firearms, they will break in to their parents' uh, firearm safe case, wherever they'll hold it, and uh, they will uh, they'll, they'll kill themselves. They'll, yeah. They uh, jump, they'll go to a bridge, uh, or go to the balcony of a condominium, and they will uh, they'll jump off. Do teens and adults use the same method to kill themselves on average? We're going into, it's, it, it's what I call suicide season, and it's a little cryptic and morbid to say that. But the statistic is people think that from Thanksgiving, usually going all the way to Easter, we've always traditionally had a spike 
in suicide. Now, there's people out there and other individuals that own crime scene cleanup companies in the U.S. who say that's a farce. And I don't know. You know, I've, I, I, I see fluctuation every year. So I'm not going to say that there's more at Christmas time. But there's a lot at Valentine's Day, especially with ladies, young girls, university students. Valentine's Day is high for suicide. Um, springtime is also extremely high. Christmas, it's there, but it's not as high as everybody thinks. Holiday season has its ups and downs and its peaks a little more than the other parts of the year. Christmas is not the end-all, be-all. The, the, the December 25th season, Hanukkah, Christmas, uh, any one of those, it's not the highest as everyone makes it out to be. However, it is there. But I find that people in maybe you know, February, March-ish, we have a higher influx. And my theory on this is that people cannot keep up with their credit card bills paying them off from the money that they incurred from purchasing gifts at Christmas time and Valentine's and at Easter. Now, I know that that may sound a little, why, and that may not make sense, but this is just a theory that I have, that people have a hard time keeping up with financial payments, with their credit cards, because you have three of these holidays that are so very, very close. Christmas, Valentine's, Easter spring, whichever. So in springtime, there is a spike in self-infliction. Have you had any exposure to crime scenes that have to do with human trafficking? I can't confirm it. I mean, this is not something where, where we would get the phone call and say that an incident happened here, somebody was assaulted, an individual was bludgeoned to death or was assaulted and beaten and there's bodily fluids because she was a part of a human trafficking ring as per se. However, there have been times where we have been called in because prostitutes or escorts may have had altercations and we have to deal with that. Now, did they belong to a, a, a human trafficking ring? I don't know. I can't say yes, I can't say no. But uh, there have been times where uh, we've been called in to deal with a situation where something has gone wrong. And and certainly we have to be delicate on, on what we do here because I don't want to aid and abed um, a, a, a criminal organization. So I have to be very, very careful here on how we approach the situation. Because like, if somebody's been assaulted, uh, I'm not a police officer, and, and they don't report it, uh, whether it is whether they are an escort, whether they are, are a prostitute, we have our suspicions. I mean, the person's not going to come out and say to me, yeah, I'm an escort, I'm a prostitute. But I mean, it, it's there are certain signs that uh, will give it away. And, and I can only say this based on experience. So human trafficking ring, I don't know. I, I would say yes, just based on uh, suspicion. But irrefutable evidence or somebody actually admitting to it. No, I can't say that. And how do you recruit people that are working that want to do this? Do you go hang out do you, at like um, cemeteries and look for people that are fascinated with death? <laughs> do you go on to Reddit and look for people that like corpses? No, I mean, no, no, no. I, uh, you know what? It's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. As silly as that sounds, if you build it, they will come. 
and that was they people find me every day. I get emails, people want to work with me, want to take training. Would you ever wonder about their mental stability that they're reaching out to you? Being sure. like, hey, I want to work with you because I, I dead people fascinate me or blood or I'm like a Dexter yeah. in the making. Do you think about that? Like, it, 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 it makes you wonder. And then when, when, you know, if we do end up hiring them, then you really get to see their, their true intent and uh, whether we keep them on or not, then that's a different story. Like how many that you put through your training program make it out? You know, a lot of them. A lot of them do. It's just a question when they get to a real scene, uh, whether they can handle it or not. The burnout rates. Uh, it's about two years. So we uh, have a bit of a high turnover. So you're in constant recruitment mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's no shortage of uh, of work. And there'll never be a shortage of work. I mean, that'll be an industry that will just never, ever have a shortage. I mean, actually, when times are worse, your business is better. Exactly, exactly. When a plant like, for example, for example, when a plant, an automotive plant such as GM, such as Ford, when they shut down that area, usually we have an influx of suicide. This has been Stand Up, Speak Up, featuring Christian Cadieux of Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. This helps us continue creating great content. You can find more at StandUpSpeakUpBlog.com. Coming up for your bonus content today, Carla asks Christian if he's ever been hired to work off the record by a criminal organization, and he explains the significance of being able to eliminate every trace of DNA from a crime scene. As I walked out One May morning dark When the sky hung grey shadow spread before him Who are you and why do you pass through my fields and I destroy the worlds And I've come To take you This is Stand Up, Speak Up, 
Our music selection today came from Alistair Thompson. Now for your bonus content, more of Carla's chat with Christian Cadia. Do the gangs, do any of them ever call you directly for a cleanup so they beat somebody up or tortured them and they, they, you know, it's not through the police. They're just like, hey, can you come and take care of it? I mean, do you ever get asked for situations like that? Have I ever done a contract killing, a mafia hit, a syndicate? Uh, <laughs> hit? No, I mean, you're not doing the hit. I mean, the, the And I really need you to read between the lines here. I neither confirm nor deny that I've had any involvement in these types of files or situations. That's all I'm going to say. I will not implicate myself by saying anything else. Okay, well, let's just say, let's just say for argument's sake, hypothetically, what type of gangs would want it all cleaned up for them and they don't want to have to touch it themselves? I mean, are we talking like, are the Hells Angels like, hey, we're not going to clean up this crap. This is like a rival gang. Do you hey. want me, do you want me, uh, seriously, I'm going <laughs> to, don't use these names, I'm telling you. Just refer to it as a syndicate group, any syndicates, different different gangs, organizations, influential organizations. A syndicate group, a criminal organization, hypothetically. That's better, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Would, would they, who would be most likely to say, ooh, gross, I don't want to clean that up. I mean... Are there some groups that are more clean-oriented? I would say that more Mediterranean organizations would have more uh, by habit, and and it would be a little more OCD. Would be a little <laughs> yeah, OCD. That's right. Like they're oh, clean yeah, more OCD on getting their hands dirty. Uh, more. Mediterranean organizations. Now, uh, it's not to say that Eastern European organizations don't want to get their hands dirty, but they were, my experience is, is that they would be more inclined to get their hands dirtier up to a certain point. So there is that. Are they quite professional and business-like? Are they just like, hey, can you give us a quote? What do you think this is going to cost to clean this mess up? I mean, then do you go to your car and go, okay, this is the bill, and they pay by credit card? <laughs> I'm telling you, Jesus, it's going to be hard to my phone. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, what, like what hypothetically. Okay, hypothetically, so how do you bill for that type of service? Hypothetically, uh, I would say that it's not like people toss you up on the phone and say, usually, uh, with these types of situations, someone has to vouch for you and you have to have uh, a pre existing contact or relationship with somebody to uh, offer these types of skill sets. Because understand this I personally have the ability and the knowledge to get away with murder. And that is an undeniable, irrefutable fact. And I am the best of the best in my game. And if people want to say I'm arrogant, I'm cocky, let them say it. But I believe, in my opinion, that I'm one of the best in the world at what I do. And I have this skill set. Now, that skill set can warrant a very, very, very high price tag in certain organizations. And I'm just going to leave it on that because I don't want to implicate myself. I eliminate all, all traces of DNA. That's what I do. I eliminate 
any single trace of DNA. So that takes uh, years upon years of, uh, of experience and knowledge on how to do these types of things properly. Thanks for listening to Stand Up, Speak Up. You can find show notes at StandUpSpeakUpBlog.com. We'll see you next time. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.